Welcome to the Think MHK podcast presented by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. On this podcast, you will hear about a variety of local matters pertaining to the business community. You also hear from local business owners to hear their story and gain valuable business insights. Thanks for tuning in today. My co-host for this segment is Charlotte Meisenheimer. Hey, Charlotte, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Jason? I'm great. We have a great guest with us for this segment and somebody you know very well because he is the current chair, although he's ending, he's getting close to the end, the current chair of the membership committee, uh, Jared Willick with High Tech Interiors. Hey, Jared. How's everything going? I think all right. Uh, we Are you looking forward to the end of that term or are you a little melancholy now? I, I, or? I feel like we're like a half a year into it because COVID took all the rest of it out. You did? I just, you, uh, being in uh, Zoom meetings is one thing. I like meeting in person as much as possible, but... It, it's worked out. It's worked out great. Yep, we would agree with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're a Manhattan kid, and but tell us a little about yourself and, and your business. Um, work at High Tech Interiors, uh, turned 30, 30, been in business for 30 years this year in September. Um, my father founded the business in 1991, and I've been there all but a year and a half. And um, so... It's kind of weird being 45 saying you've worked for the same business for almost 30 years and I've probably got another 15 in me. So um, it's going to be it's going to be a fun ride for sure. So so let's talk for a minute about the one and a half. What did you do for the one and a half years you weren't at high tech? I actually worked for the competition Midwest Drywall out of Wichita. OK, so um, good experience. Um, when I went to work there, uh, the guy that hired me said, I know you're not going to stick around here for a very long time, but we'd love to have you. So, and he was right. And, uh, went back to work with my dad. Um, we weren't getting along in the office so great to each other. So I went, came back to work out in the field, but, uh, that didn't last very long either. So I went back up in the office in about six months after coming back. Well, those of us with sons understand, and, and dads, I guess, I right. understand how that might be right. a challenge. So congratulations on, on figuring that out. Appreciate so. it. Yeah. So talk about your role as the chair of the membership committee. Um, the role of the membership committee, um, I feel like it's gaining some legs. Um, I feel like it was kind of probably a little bit of a lost committee for a little while, or a committee of one, which was Charlotte. Um, and um, trying to get the committee back involved and trying to do some things, um, make phone calls prior to, you know, people upset of, of maybe possibly getting out of the chamber and just trying to, trying to engage more um, with the actual membership. Um, that was kind of a goal of mine, but if I felt like we're, you know, while you're making strides, you're just now starting to get back in person and, and doing some of those things. So it's a little tough. But um, so I feel like the membership committee's starting, you know, to figure out the direction that they need to head to um, to actually, I don't know, prop up the actual membership, um, do do what is necessary to uh, do that. Also with doing our membership drive, we have a bunch of new members. So now we got to figure out, you know, I guess it's on the membership committee to figure out how we're going to keep them at the chamber. So let's, so. Talk, so let's talk about that for a minute. Cause you did chair the membership drive and, and it was something that we did this fall and uh, ended up uh, over the three day period with 105 new members. And so talk about that experience and what that was like. I thought I, just from my perspective, 
uh, I was real excited how many people we got engaged in that process. It was great. I was not, uh, I was, I was actually a co-chair, but, uh, with Larry, but, um, I really honestly had no idea that was what I was doing. Charlotte calls me and she goes, Hey, we're doing a membership drive-in because you are the chair of the membership committee. You are co-chairing. And I'm like, Oh, I wasn't really, didn't, didn't realize that's what I signed up for. Um, it was great though. Like great experience. Um, everybody gets busy and everybody gets that way. Um, I feel like, um, I probably failed some of my drivers a little bit or my crew chiefs a little bit by not following up as much as I should have. But, uh, no, very pleased in the fact that we haven't had one in so long and, you know, 105 is better than, you know, trying to continue to do it, you know, I say pro bono, you know, through the chamber, um, you know, I kind of, there's a handful of you guys and you don't have all the time in the world to do it. So it's, uh, it's been, it was, it was a great experience though. Yeah. Absolutely great. Of course, it's a year's worth of new members that we got in three days and, and, uh, the most members, the organization ended with the most members that we've had in 20 years and 21 years. So congratulations to you and, and thank you for your help on that. So your dad, Fred was a former chair of the chamber and, and obviously he's been involved for a number of years. What made you decide to get engaged in the chamber as well? Um, Basically, kind of passing the torch. Um, my dad was very, very, oh, what I want to say. I, I'll just say it, passionate about the fact that you give back to the community. If you're a business in the community, you give back. And um, as, a, as a business owner, um, you know, one of the best ways that I say, I mean, you can give through philanthropy and uh, to all kinds of organizations in the community. Um, I get asked to be on a lot of boards around the community, um, but the chamber's the one that I feel champions. You know, they're the only one that's very vocal about the about the business side of things, um, and I'm huge into the advocacy part. So they're the ones fighting to keep, you know. I don't know, having, having business be easy to do in Manhattan, Kansas, um, try to keep regulations down, um, you know, try to steer commission where they need to go, whether it be county or, or city, um, just to try to make things better for the business community as a whole. And continue to grow as a community. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So talk a little bit more about your experiences as a chamber member. When I first got started, I really honestly thought the only thing we did at the chamber was business after hours. <laughs> I'd like to think you were the only member that ever thought that, but that's not true. So yeah. continue. Um, <laughs> Tell us more, Jared. Um, given the opportunity to go to those, uh, did I, I went to a lot of them, um, you know, just when I was single and just married, uh, went to a lot of those. Um but, you know, now having kids and things like that, I don't get to do those so much. Um, but my experiences of being there is, is just the networking of people and not realizing how, I'll say, tight-knit the business community in Manhattan is. I mean, there's still, you know, the pocket full of groups that do their things and do everything. But as, as an overall arching goal, um, I've made phone calls to business folks that I probably ordinarily wouldn't have. 
um, you know, for coaching, um, for ideas, for, you know, you've experienced this in your business. How did it go? Um, we've been through a lot of that stuff ourselves, but uh, it's always good to get, you know, another perspective on it. So um, that for me is um, one of the best experiences I've had as far as the chamber is, is and I'll call it mentoring, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. But, um, you know, it's not out there mentoring. It's, it's, it's me searching for it. But the fact that the people on the receiving end of that ask were so generous with their time. Um, I can't even explain that. So it's, it's been great. That's awesome. So you are our first chair as a, as the membership committee. It's at one of a, and one of the newer committees that was started just recently in the past two years. So how did you, um, how did you land on that spot and what made you decide to say yes to that ask? Um, actually before that was done, I think Charlotte, I, I was, we were at lunch. I was at lunch with you and somebody, there was a couple other people there and I just, it, I finally got to the point I needed to get involved uh, at the chamber, um, going to events and doing things like that isn't necessarily getting involved. Um, so actually I was you, I asked, I asked Charla, I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to do something, getting more involved or whatever. And she goes, well, we have this thing coming up. And I said, okay. And she told me a little more about it. And, uh, I'm not scared to talk to anybody. Um, so maybe that's, <laughs> <laughs> what made it uh, an easy fit, I guess. Um, but uh, I was excited at the challenge. I mean, it's something brand new. The Chamber's trying to get off the ground, and COVID kind of put a little swing on that. So I know you're kind of out of sorts as far as switching people over and everything as far as chairs and things. But uh, it was – I was excited. It, um, it was something – it was something fun. Um, but now that I've done that, like it – makes me think of the other the other uh, committees that the chamber has um, to be able to see if I can get in on one of those and sit on one of those. Well, and you're, and you're on the Economic Development Committee as well. Right. So, yeah. So, um, like where you can – I just feel you just get involved where you think you feel you can make an impact at the chamber. Um, that's, that's one of the biggest – that's one of the biggest things I think you can take as far as, number one, being a member – you can go to the events and everything and, and do all the networking, but you're the worth of being there and the more you get out of it, uh, if you get involved, I mean, it, it just it moves mountains for you for sure. So why is the chamber important to the quote-unquote average business owner? I'm going to say um, I don't think the average business owner realizes how much ag- advocacy happens for them from a chamber and that's i mean i'll take manhattan out of it or even the kansas chamber or anything anything that's pro-business is going to go fight for business regardless um some of those things i mean on a specific business may hurt or you know or be better um but overall they're literally the only organization that fights for business so whether it's at you know, our local level here, whether it's a, you know, our local chamber here takes care of two counties and, and, and a city, um, which is huge. And then we have partners at local communities around here and, um, they're super involved with that stuff. But, uh, you know, there's ties 
when you have to go to Washington, D.C. to get things done as a chamber for Manhattan, Kansas, I mean, they're fighting for what is good for business in Manhattan, Kansas. So I think that's the thing that I would say that the average business owner is kind of not in tune with what the chamber actually does for them. So as part of being the chair of the uh, membership committee, you also were um, selected to be on the board and represent the membership committee on the board. Uh, what, what was that experience like in terms of being a board member uh, for the chamber? Number one, you don't realize how big the board is. Um, I mean, you knew it was a sizable group, but when you get there and then, um, but number two, um, kind of my takeaway was, is although, although I can only think of like two or three things, but the, how passionate the people are that are on that board, um, I mean, every board's going to have the ones that are there and, you know, you kind of don't hear from them and, um, and I would like to say there's probably a couple of times I got a little passionate about a couple of things, but, uh, you know, it just seems like whatever issue there is, um, there's somebody, you know, right now it's the building committee and our board chair right now is passionate about it. And so it's just, I don't know, for me, it's refreshing to see that, you know, there's people still, you know, passionate about Manhattan and what Manhattan can do and where we can go and, um, so that was a, that was a huge takeaway. I mean, I, you know, it's power by committee, you know, there's, there's gotta be more than one. Um, but just, you know, you knew, you knew people had their niches, but I mean, just, you got to feel some of the passion in the room. And it was just, that was just kind of cool. Cause most boards I'm on are, you know, power guy by committee. Hey, how do you guys feel about this? Oh yeah, we like that. Okay. Well, that's, that's what we'll do now. And um, we get, we had some good discussions. It was it was I was surprised by that. It's an interesting dynamic. We have thirty two board members, um, yep. and and obviously most of our board members, if not all, are are executives with their companies, and so they're very, uh, as you say, passionate, and they're very <laughs> opinionated about how they think things should be. And then we have another, I don't know, twelve to fourteen ex officio members who are either elected officials or uh, the top person at a at a public agency and and they obviously have their views on things too so it does make for some lively debate and we've tried as a staff to bring more issues to the board to discuss as well and so uh, we do appreciate your uh, candor and your engagement in in that dialogue but Jared we appreciate your leadership for us over the last couple of years and and everything you've done to help us through this process specifically and and uh, with the membership drive, because that was such a huge undertaking, and we needed to have um, really credible and strong people leading that, and and so you were natural to do that for us. And but Jared, thank you for being with us today on the Think MHK podcast, and uh, we look forward to having you engaged with us for many years to come. Thank you, I appreciate it. The Think MHK podcast is brought to you by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. Don't forget to subscribe and like the Think MHK podcast on your preferred podcast provider, and you will never risk missing an episode. If you enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. To find out more about today's topic or other chamber activities, please go to manhattan.org. And now back to today's show. Welcome back to the Think MHK podcast. My co-host for this segment is Darren Solden. Hey, Darren. Hey, Jason. Great to be here today. Our member spotlight is Manco Windows, and with us today, 
uh, representing Manco Windows is our good friend Brett Jones. Brett, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. Hey, Brett, talk a little about Manco Windows. Uh, when was it formed and how have you guys grown over the years? Manco was uh, started in 1989. Um, started with an aluminum window idea that uh, had been developed shortly before then and uh, ultimately trying to provide aluminum windows to a, uh, a commercial market that needed a product in a timely fashion, a high quality product. So ultimately I started uh, with, with two individuals um, in the first month and uh, by the end of the year it was uh, 10 full-time individuals at Manco by the end of 1989. The three owners are Gary, Joe, and Steve Jones. Shortly after uh, 1989, the aluminum windows had obviously uh, began to take off. Uh, certainly there was a market for, for the product and uh, uh, complementary products began being developed in the early 90s to include uh, storefront products, entrance door products, curtain wall products, um, and then shortly after uh, some glazing products to go into those aluminum windows. So uh, Manco then expanded west uh, to Denver, Colorado and started a branch in Denver in 1996. Primarily Denver's market for Manco was producing aluminum uh, windows as well as providing aluminum storefront uh, and doors in that market. Uh, back to Manhattan for a little bit as far as uh, Manco began to continue to really grow on the glass side of things, uh, providing insulated units to projects, providing single lights of, of glass to really for interior, exterior purposes as well. Um, and that certainly changed over time as the market grew and energy codes uh, began to uh, really become more stringent. In 2012, Manco um, purchased a facility up in uh, Des Moines, Iowa and uh, rebranded under Manco Windows up there who primarily has covered um, the uh, four or five state region up there for glazing products, but also uh, provides these same aluminum products that Manhattan provides. Manco is a manufacturer and uh, fabricator of glass and glazing aluminum systems, as I mentioned. Uh, the majority of our products are sold on the exterior or, or intended for use on the exterior of uh, commercial buildings, uh, whether it's a storefront, uh, the curtain wall, windows, doors, uh, the glass. Manco provides products to meet really any buildings demand um, in really any different market. Uh, we provide products uh, to all the way to Wisconsin to uh, down to Houston, Texas, and those obviously prevent different challenges, whether it's uh, thermal performance or whatever it may be. We also provide interior systems for both residential and commercial market, um, as well as really an initiative of uh, growing the interior shower door market. Uh, we deliver products uh, to 16 states weekly through our three facilities and uh, have sales reps that cover 28 states throughout the Midwest, primarily from the Mississippi River to uh, the Rocky Mountains. In the Manhattan area, um, you'll see our trucks driving around. Uh, we install our own product here in the Manhattan area and, and a small surrounding radius. We do, uh, we do not install our products outside of uh, the Manhattan area. Um, we provide our products to uh, probably over a thousand glazing contractors that are uh, in our customer base who uh, would then install our products. Um, in Junction City, we also produce and manufacture vinyl windows and uh, provide that more for the residential market. I know we did a job down in Texas here that finished up two years ago and had 3,000 windows on it, and it was just a one job. So we do jobs from one window to 3,000 windows. Wow, that sounds like a lot. So you mentioned earlier about the ownership. Uh, I don't believe it's coincidental that all their last names are Jones. So Manco is a family-owned business, correct? Yes. And, and, and of course, your name is Jones as well, and so you're you've come on as part of that family-owned business. So what's your role at, at Manco? I um, started with Manco full-time as a sales rep out in Colorado. Um, I covered five states as an outside sales representative for 
about four years and then I moved back here about four and a half years ago. My wife and I um, decided to move back and uh, primarily I, I I work in the marketing department at Manco as well as I'm still in sales as the kind of the Western Kansas uh, sales representative. But I would say most of my role is, is different than uh, those two job categories. I do a little bit of everything at Manco, I guess you could say. So what made your family decide to take the risk to start a business in Manhattan? Um, prior to starting the business in 1989, uh, Joe, uh, my grandfather, Steve, my uncle, and, and my, uh, my father, Gary, were working at Harding Glass, um, who was a large Midwest glazing contractor. They had a location here in, in Manhattan, and the three of them were based in Manhattan, and, and had lived here for a number of years, and Steve and Gary had grown up here. So ultimately, uh, to my knowledge, I uh, decided to start the business here. So Brett, what's made uh, Manco successful for so long? Because obviously there's been a, a strong history, not just of of the business in Manhattan, but significant business growth um, across the country. Yeah, it certainly, uh, certainly has grown from uh, a couple employees to now over 500 employees um, within the organization. Um, I would say three things. Um, first, uh, the people at Manco. Um, we have a lot of great employees that have a lot of tenure um, that's really helped Manco be successful throughout the years. Like many other industries, uh, you learn through experience and through lessons learned. And um, we've been lucky enough to have a lot of tenure and a lot of good good individuals on staff for a long time to, to be able to help us with that. Um, secondly, I would say our relationship with customers um, has been a, a strong key to our success. Uh, we spend a lot of time and effort getting to know our customers and their business, what their passion is. Um, along with the individuals that work at that business. Uh, we strongly believe that uh, strong customer relationships and the success of our customers uh, certainly will provide an opportunity for us to be successful as well. Um, and lastly, I would say we don't ever seem to be 100% content. We're always looking for better processes, uh, better efficiencies, new equipment, and then certainly developing better products, uh, more high efficient products to meet market demands. Kind of from the beginning and still today, Manco's passion has been providing customers with a quality product um, and certainly exceptional uh, customer service. Um, and then also by many, Manco's considered throughout the United States as one of the leaders in developing uh, new uh, fenestration products to, to meet the demands of not only today, but tomorrow. So you mentioned all over the United States. Um, where would we find Manco window systems installed in buildings? Primarily um, here in the Midwest, uh, within the 28 states that we are, are in um, yearly, I would say. Uh, and certainly the 16 states that we're in uh, every single week. We have worked on projects as uh, in the United States as far as Arizona, California, New York, South Carolina, but primarily within those uh, the Midwest region. Um, I've also understood that we've done projects um, over in China, um, Diego Garcia, Guam, to name a few places as well. Okay. Our customers have primarily taken our products to those areas. And you mentioned earlier when we were talking, you had a project just recently in Texas where you had over 3,000 windows installed on that facility. Is that is that one of the larger ones? And is that something you all do on, on a regular basis? That's certainly one of the larger ones. Yeah. So I know through the last few months that we've had challenges in the supply chain. Has that impacted the window industry as well? Yes. And uh, primarily supply chain has become more of a challenge in the last two to three months. Early on in the pandemic, uh, the supply chain was not as much of a challenge. Certainly, um, the labor um, was, was a challenge from our vendors all the way to us, whether it was quarantining or things like that that caused disruptions in the supply chain. But uh, we're seeing our biggest impact of supply chain of things that we're used to getting in two or three weeks from vendors to getting six-month lead times on. Uh, things like that that have become very challenging. So, And some people might not realize I, I had the opportunity to 
see one of your presentations on one of your new systems. So technology is very important in the window industry. So for instance, you have a product now that you can install and it's clear glass and you flip a button and it, it basically makes it where, where you can't see through the glass anymore. Do you all do a lot of that research in, internally? Do you work with a vendor for that? How do you develop new products like that? I'd say that particular product, um, it's actually a, a film that is purchased um, out of a company from Israel and uh, they provide the technology for it. And then we, from there, fabricate it, uh, cut it down, um, I guess, kind of put the electricity to it, um, to the particular product. Uh, a lot of our, though, that, that one is, is maybe a little bit different, but it is a really interesting and product in high demand, certainly for conference rooms and, and things like that. But a lot of our R&D is done in-house. Um, we've got an engineer on staff that does a lot of our R&D, and, and certainly um, Gary is very involved with that as well. So. He spends a lot of his time doing that. And obviously you mentioned it earlier, but weather certainly impacts what kind of product that you're selling, depending on where part, what part of the country you're selling in. Uh, do you have to account for all kinds of weather, whether it's hurricanes or tornadoes or cold weather or hot weather? Is that something that you all factor into all your products? We do provide um, glazing or glass products um, for the hurricane market. Mm-hmm. We work with companies in South Texas that they're not worried about how cold it's going to be. So it's not near as important uh, to have higher thermal performance there. We work with companies in Wisconsin that all they want is uh, three pieces of glass, um, or if they could get four, they get, they would want four to try to keep it from uh, the cold weather from, from getting in and losing that heat from inside the building. So that's something that's always kind of a challenge. Um, the energy codes over the last six, eight years have really pushed um, a high thermal performance, whether you're Oklahoma all the way north to, to Wisconsin, it's really changed the landscape a lot. And um, we've got a, an individual on staff that uh, spends spends a lot of time with NFRC. And uh, he's kind of keeps Manco, gives us the opportunity to stay abreast as to what's coming down the line in five years. And it's great that you guys are so cutting edge on that and, and that that R&D is being done here locally in Manhattan. So what makes Manhattan such a good place for, for Manco and, and, a, and a good place for Manco to be based from and, and do business in? Well, certainly, um, Manco started here um, in 89. Uh, the individuals were from here, loved Manhattan. Uh, geographically, it, it makes sense uh, for Manhattan to be here. We've got great access to, to major highways in all different directions, as I would say uh, 85 to 90 percent of our product goes outside of Manhattan. Uh, but ultimately, I would say for Manco, uh, the people in Manhattan um, who've worked for Manco and supported Manco over the years have have been amazing. The the Midwest and and it seems and it's not just Manco's Manhattan specific, but the Midwest work ethic, uh, in my opinion, second to none. And it's it's really given us a opportunity to find individuals that uh, want to share the same passion and goals for our business as we do. You guys have obviously as a company been very involved in the community, not just as an employer, but in, in a lot of other initiatives and different organizations. Um, has being a chamber member been positive for the business? Certainly. I would say the chamber has, has certainly uh, given Manco and, and the individuals that have been uh, a part of uh, the chamber through Manco um, oper- different, many different opportunities from both our manufacturing side as well as our contract glazing side. If I was going to say the, the maybe the biggest positive or my limited uh, experience back here in Manhattan with, with Manco from my perspective is, is certainly the opportunities and the networking opportunities um, that the chamber provides, whether it's through after hours events or whatever events may be going on at the time, meeting with people that we work with daily um, that we might want to work with in the future. 
Um, just building some of those relationships um, has certainly been a big positive for Manco. And of course, you're serving on our board. We appreciate your service to the organization. Um, recently, Manco was selected as our cornerstone winner, which is designated for lifetime achievement in business in the community. Uh, how, how has your family reacted to receiving that award? I think it's uh, it's definitely um, very much been appreciative and, uh, and humbled to get the uh, honor um, and the award. Kind of gives us an opportunity. I think we're always in such a fast paced life, it seems like right now. It kind of, I think, uh, gave gave them or at least uh, some of us an opportunity to kind of sit back and, and realize some of the strides that they've, they've made uh, in the business and uh, certainly some of the successes that Manco's had over the years. So um, certainly it's an appreciative reward and or award and uh, something that uh, certainly give us an opportunity to sit back and think about. Well, it was definitely well-deserved. And, and Brett, we appreciate you being with us today. So every uh, show with our member spotlight, we have a rapid fire segment where we ask a series of questions. And so we have our 10 questions ready for you. Are you ready to answer? I think so. Something that people often find surprising about you. I am a Raiders fan. Oh, that is surprising. I think this is this going to continue or is it? <laughs> yeah. So no, I don't. I don't have. I'm, I don't no. have a dog in that fight. Actually. I, uh, I'm a Cowboys fan. I, so I don't tell people that a lot yeah. of times for business reasons, you know. But uh, I'm a big Raiders fan. So. But you've lived in Chiefs territory and in Broncos territory uh-huh. and been a Raiders fan in that. It's been, so it's been a long 30, 30 plus years. Yeah. So brave. That's brave. Yeah. Um, we'll see what kind of feedback we get on this this podcast segment. I know we may get a one star review from somebody, Dave. Uh, best piece of advice you ever received? I would say follow up and communication. Something that was, I, I got in this industry, I worked in it, I guess you could kind of say all my life uh, to an extent, uh, but I got out in sales in 2012 and or 2013, I guess it was, and knew nothing about the glass business in all reality uh, as to what our customers knew. And I definitely didn't know anything or as much as, as they did. And certainly the follow up and uh, the communication and just yep. being personal with them. Good advice. What three words describe living in Manhattan? Say uh, friendly um, opportunities, and for me, and I think a lot of people that move here over time, it becomes home. Sounds like a chamber response. Good job, good job with that. <laughs> Favorite flavor of ice cream? Uh, chocolate. Well, that's much less controversial than being a Raiders fan. <laughs> and it is much less controversial. Favorite pet? Um, I would say dog. We had a few dogs growing up. And okay, so not any <laughs> particular pet, just all your dogs. We had uh, we had a couple couple dogs that were with us for a while that were hunting dogs and, yeah. and spent a lot of time with them outside and, and inside and yeah. Biggest lesson the pandemic taught you? I would say from a business uh, standpoint, preparation of what might happen in the future, um, and especially as we're seeing with supply chain. I would say personally, um, not that I, I try to take much for granted, but I can still remember the day I was watching a I think a K State basketball game in the Big Twelve tournament, and then the next day it seemed like the world was shut down. So. Not taking anything for granted. Uh, certainly something that I've learned. It's a great lesson. Samsung, Apple, or other? Apple. Okay. Favorite meal? Uh, good cheeseburger. There's a lot of good places. That, you that's up. not controversial either. No, but no. good cheeseburger followed by chocolate is is uh, excellent. <laughs> it is. And, and then you wonder why, why Brett stays so thin. Yeah. He is. He is cheeseburgers and ice cream my don't. wife's a dietitian oh so. well there you go so in moderation right yeah. that's everything yeah. in moderation texting or talking talking really interesting okay a, a renaissance man yeah. i would rather talk to somebody any day well i like that's, it that's that's good to know who is the first person that comes to mind when you hear the word successful business person and why i would say uh 
the person I know closest uh, would be would be my dad, um, Gary Jones. Um, certainly, uh, he started the business with his his brother and and uh, and father as well. Um, but I would say um, my dad just working with him over the last kind of four and a half years, uh, seeing how he uh, or trying to understand exactly how he thinks um, looking forward and and the calculated risks and the, he always has a reason. It's just a matter of you know understanding that reason of whether it's equipment or new products or whatever it may be, it's uh, it's pretty amazing to kind of see how he thinks. Gary Jones would be a good answer for anybody. Gary's certainly Absolutely. somebody that we, we all can admire. Brett, thank you again for being with us today. We enjoyed this opportunity to learn a little more about you and Manco, and good luck moving forward. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Think MHK, a podcast produced by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. If you enjoyed the Think MHK podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe and share it out on your social media channels. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce.